0: Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. Hey, I am excited to kind of pinch hit for uh, Albie and Justin a little bit, give them a preaching break this Sunday, because wasn't Easter Sunday just such a special day? wasn't it great? I mean, most pastors try to bring their best every Sunday because every Sunday they carry the weight of leading people into the presence of God and into the worship of the Lord. And I know that's a responsibility that Justin and Albie take very seriously. They bring their best every Sunday, but there is something different about Easter because it's like Super Bowl Sunday for the church, right? It's emotionally and physically exhausting day for pastors on Easter Sunday, there's just an electricity in the air. There's this buzz. There's a spark. There's a sense of the Holy Spirit present as the church comes together to celebrate and worship the, the, the risen and the reigning Lord Jesus Christ. And so you try to take it up a notch. And I think Sunday, last Sunday, was really like that. I mean, people were packed in elbow to elbow. The musicians and the vocalists, they were awesome. The sound, the lighting, all on cue. The scripture readers, the preaching, they were spot on. The flowers were beautiful. And the cookies. Well, actually, I'm not so sure about the cookies because by the time I got there, they were all gone. And I'm trying not to be bitter about that because you know who you are. Who ate all those cookies? But Easter is very much like uh, Super Bowl Sunday for the church. And after seeing this church in action last Sunday, I went home thinking I was really proud to be able to call Elm City Church my spiritual home. Aren't you? Let's just show our appreciation to everybody who helped out last week. But there's an important way in which Easter is not like Super Bowl Sunday because after a big football game, everybody goes home or they just turn off the TV and there's this nice long break until next year. That's not true for Easter because the resurrection of Jesus isn't just once and done. It's not just a day to say, yay, Jesus, and then go home and wait until next year. Jesus rising from the tomb was not just a once and done event. Jesus didn't just pop out of the grave, take a victory lap around the temple, and then scoot up to heaven. Jesus didn't just appear to the women at the tomb or to the disciples locked in their upper room. He didn't stop there. In fact, we're told in the first chapter of Acts, this chapter 1 verse 3, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to the apostles and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about The kingdom of God. Over a period of 40 days, Jesus kept on with these resurrection appearances, and some of those were one on one, some in small groups of disciples, and at least one time he met with over 500 people. The Apostle Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and to the apostles, and least of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born." If you read through the New Testament, you'll see Jesus made at least 10 separate post-resurrection appearances over this period of 40 days in a variety of different places. I mean, he was like a -a whack-a-mole. He'd pop up over here, then he'd be over here. Nobody knew where he was going to show up next. His resurrection was not just a once-and-done thing. It was the starting gun to launch the ministry that he was giving to the disciples. It was the starting gun for the church to get into action. I've asked my friend Chad and I to come up and to read about one of those resurrection appearances this morning. It's the story of the two men who go from Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus from Luke chapter 24.
1: On the road to Emmaus. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they did not find his body. They came and told us that he, that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when we talked, when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread.
0: Thank you, Chad. Friends, it was a long seven miles to Emmaus, just two men walking. And as the sun was sinking, so were their spirits. Their hopes had been shattered. Their minds were confused. Their dreams were dead. We had hoped he was the one. We had hoped he was the Messiah. We had hoped that he was the one who would save us, who would solve all our problems. And he didn't. He didn't come through for us. And so they were crushed by another letdown in life, by repeated disappointment. Because hope is such an important thing. Hope is what keeps you going every day. Believing that there's something better ahead. And all the hope had been squeezed out of these two guys. So they just shuffled along. And maybe you've walked that same road. The road of disappointment. Discouragement. The road of lost hope. Maybe you're walking that road this morning. Discouragement. Is your companion? You know, for all of us, life as we know it has been so disrupted over these past two years. There's been so much discouragement and disappointment that we've all felt, so much loss and even grief. It's been going to be going on even for more uh, more time. Many of the things we counted on to give us a sense of security just don't seem as stable or as reliable as before. Our, our institutions, our leaders, we're, we're losing hope because we see corruption and hypocrisy and incompetence. And that's true in the church as well. There, it's been so discouraging the last couple of years because of, you know, uh, Christian leaders being exposed for their own bad behavior and normal. We hardly know, know what normal even feels like anymore. Even now, the prospect of going back to work unmasked has a lot of people really stressed out. And then you add to that all the current stressors that are going on from inflation, gas prices, new COVID variants, uh, easing restrictions, plus the war in Ukraine and the fact that there are still a lot of other wars going on in the world that they're just not reported on anymore. The war in Syria, the war in Ethiopia, the war in Myanmar, the war in Yemen. It's like there's this kind of malaise that just kind of settles over our heads. But like the disciples, you have to keep on walking. I think it's important to realize that the first Easter started off as a time of great confusion and grief and discouragement. Their feet were dragging as they kind of shuffle step towards the sunset. Oh, sure, there were rumors about the empty tomb. There were strange sightings, but who can believe such things? Come on. No intelligent person would fall for that kind of hysterical nonsense. They heard what the women said, that the tomb was empty. And they had actually, you know, people said that they'd actually seen Jesus alive. But death, by definition, it's irreversible. So they had no explanation for the whole situation. Only one thing was clear to these two guys. The party was over, and it was time to get out of Dodge. Now that Jesus was dead and buried there was bound to be a severe brutal purge of his followers and they decided to get out of town. And whenever I read the story of the two men on the road to Emmaus I always have to ask why these two guys? Jesus only had 10 appearances. Why would he have chosen to reveal himself to these two guys? Why them? They weren't part of the inner circle of the disciples. Only one of their names is even recorded in the Bible. We don't ever hear from them again in Scripture. We never hear that they do miraculous things or that they start preaching or that they uh, do anything during the growth of the early church. They're just a couple of ordinary guys who've pinned their fragile hopes on this man Jesus and who were going home with heavy hearts. And maybe it's because they were so ordinary. Maybe Jesus wants the rest of us ordinary people to find at least someone in this crazy story that we can identify with. Maybe as we walk through the difficult road of life, we begin to understand the impact of this great resurrection message, this message that seems too good to be true. Now, it's so typical of Jesus that he takes the subtle approach with these guys. He doesn't overwhelm them with earthquakes or angels or flashes of lightning or heavenly sound effects. There's such an unglamorous quality about this story. Jesus comes to them just in their ordinary circumstances, in their distress. They're just walking down the road, and Jesus joins with them as a fellow traveler. Now, it was normal for strangers to walk the roads together because there are often bandits waiting in, in the wings. Remember the story that Jesus told about the good Samaritan who helps the guy who got beat up and robbed on the road to Jericho? Same kind of thing. So there was safety in numbers. But in their confusion and in their grief, the two men don't even recognize Jesus when he comes along and asks, what are you guys talking about? And they say, haven't you heard? I mean, they're incredulous at his ignorance. We were hoping he was the one. There is so much emotion packed into those words. We were hoping. We were hoping. It's a terrible thing to lose hope. There's a hollow, empty feeling when you lose hope there's a there's an anger when you lose hope and that's part of it the anger of feeling betrayed that you put your trust in someone or something and then they let you down there's a self-hatred that comes when you lose hope feeling stupid like i held on to it for too long that relationship that that dream you think that you should have known better this time there's a sense of defeat when you lose hope if our hope is in ourselves or in our human institutions, we're quickly finding out how inadequate those things are, how fragile our systems are, how fragile life really is as mortality kind of stares us in the face. Losing hope, friends, is a devastating thing. Where are you on the hope meter today? Quarterful, half empty, half full? You know, the longer this pandemic disruption goes on, the more important it is that you have a sense of hope, not in yourself, but in the Lord. And I think this is gonna be especially true for years to come as our young people and children, we don't really yet understand the emotional and psychological and even spiritual impact the pandemic has had on our children. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to offer hope. If your hope meter is wobbling, Here's a little bit of a positive plan maybe to help you get started. Start doing a Bible study just on the word hope in the book of Psalms. Just the Psalms. Just read all the verses that talk about hope in the book of Psalms. You'll be amazed how how many times it appears. Here's a couple examples. Psalm 119. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Psalm 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 33 We wait in hope for the Lord, he is our help and our shield. Hope is a big deal in the Bible. These disciples, they've run out of hope and they pour out the intensity of their disappointment to the stranger. And I think Jesus must have been kind of holding back a little bit of a smirk as he listened to their lament. I mean, he's waiting for just the right time to allow them to see who he really is. Maybe they'd noticed that his, that his feet weren't really touching the ground as he walked along beside them. I mean, he's as light as a bird enjoying the freedom of his resurrection body. Think of that. It was a real physical body, but it was different. Remember when Jesus meets with the gathered disciples in Jerusalem, he just kind of shows up in a locked room. He can kind of move around as well. But then he also shows them his hands and he shows them his side, shows them he's able to be touched, that he's able to eat. He's not a ghost. He's not some disembodied spirit. He's a real physical presence, but it's different. He was able to appear and disappear, but he had the kind of body that you and I will have in the great resurrection real, but different. But Jesus allows these guys their time of doubting and despair. And let me say this again. He allows their time of doubting and despair. And I think this is really important for us to recognize that doubt and questioning, confusion, even despair, those are not the opposites of faith. In reality, all of those emotions can be seen as a subset of our faith. These two men were wrestling with deep, critical issues in their lives. They needed solid answers. Religious platitudes would not cut it. The disciple Thomas tends to get smeared as the doubting one, but they all doubted, every single one of them. They all had questions that went very deep and could not just be casually brushed aside. The death of Christ had rocked their faith like they got hit between the eyeballs with a crowbar. They needed more than just pat answers and wishful thinking. They needed to know that faith in Jesus was real. You know, every time we reach for a little bit more of God, every time we are ready to grow deeper in our knowledge and our love of Christ, every time God decides to stretch our faith to grow us to some newer level, every time there will be periods of doubt. It's inevitable that there will be periods of doubt in your life. And a faith that is being stretched will go through periods of doubt And will be stronger in the end. It just goes hand in hand with spiritual growth. In fact, there's no other way to really grow your faith. But to be placed in a position where you really have to stretch. A faith that has never had any struggles is probably one that has not really faced the real mysteries of life. Or the deep mysteries of God. Jesus did not see their struggle as a setback. He doesn't see their confusion as a weakness. Their doubts will give birth to a deeper faith. And you know what? That's what God is doing in your life this morning, too. Right now, during the season of crisis, the season of unsettledness, he is stretching your faith to new dimensions, new levels of trusting, new levels of understanding. Your faith is going to be stronger because of everything that we're going through if we decide to listen to the Lord. Now, these two men needed to know that their hope in Christ was real. More than any other religion, The Christian faith stands or falls on the basis of historical facts. The essence of our faith depends on events that took place at a particular time in a real place. A solid faith does not disregard facts. So more than any other religion, Christianity is kind of open to historical verification. And over the centuries, many people have tried to somehow disprove the historical authenticity of our faith. But the accuracy of scripture has been proven again and again. Archaeology and the other sciences have have shown again and again the historical integrity of scripture. And so the resurrection, it's a real historical event, not a myth, not a fantasy, not even a faith story, as some people will say, but a real historical event. Jesus' bodily resurrection, you see, that's what validates all his teachings. That's what validates all of his promises. That's what can give us hope. Otherwise, Jesus is just another dead martyr. His resurrection is the only thing that can explain the dramatic turnaround that took place in the lives of the disciples. They turned from hopeless cowards hiding from the police to bold disciples who literally turned the world upside down. The History Channel once did a special on the apostles, and even in their secularized approach, the filmmakers had to acknowledge something inexplicable happened to the disciples. If the resurrection wasn't real, the followers of Jesus should have been stamped out like the followers of hundreds of others phony messiahs that populated the ancient world. Barely a footnote in the history books. Jesus would have been the same, except for the resurrection. All the enemies of Christ had to do was just trot out Jesus' body, his dead body, and it was case closed, lights out, drop the mic. But they couldn't. Neither the unparalleled military might of Rome nor the religious power of the Sanhedrin could produce his corpse. The body they killed, the body they guarded, the body they sealed in a tomb, all they had to do was put it on public display and they couldn't. Why? Because it wasn't there. Jesus really did rise from the dead. You see, hope without facts is meaningless. Our hope in Christ without the fact of his resurrection would just be wishful thinking and actually self-delusion. The transformed faith of these two men is built on two simple things, a deeper understanding of scripture combined with a personal experience of Jesus Christ. And those two things always go together. That's what brought their hope back, a deeper understanding of Scripture combined with a deeper personal experience of the risen Christ. And as they walk, Jesus explains the Scriptures. This was probably the greatest Bible study of all time. From Genesis all the way through Malachi, Jesus helps them to see all of what was planned, all that God had in mind from the very beginning. Don't you wish they had written that down? Why would they leave that out? You know, it'd be so nice to have that nice, concise Bible study by Jesus. But as they listened, the meeting became clear and all the pieces fell together for them. A deeper understanding of Scripture always forms the basis for a deeper experience of Christ. Knowing Scripture by itself isn't enough. That becomes cold and sterile and even heartless. If all people have is, is a devotion to the Bible, then pretty soon the Bible becomes like a club. It becomes a weapon that insecure Christians use to bludgeon others whom they label as you know, unbelievers or heretics. True faith requires also a personal encounter with Jesus. In verse 32, I love it. It says, weren't our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Jesus explained the scriptures to them before he revealed himself to them. It's as though he wanted them to have this solid biblical foundation before they could handle the experience of seeing him as the risen Christ. It was scripture, but scripture along with a personal experience of grace, Christ's presence, and transforming love. You see, the core of Christianity is not religious propositions. It's not a book. It's a person, not a system of ethics. But a Savior. Not just right doctrine, but a personal connection to the risen Christ. The mind and the soul, they've got to work together as Scripture comes alive in a person's heart through an experience of the risen Christ. And once Jesus left, the men took their faith on the road. They ran this mini-marathon back to Jerusalem in the middle of the night. They couldn't wait to tell others of their encounter with the risen Christ. They couldn't wait to tell them about how their hope had been reborn. This is important for us, too, the willingness to bear witness to our faith, to take it on the road, in homes, in the marketplace, in prison, in Roman catacombs. That's how the ancient church grew. Under intimidation and persecution, the followers of Jesus, they shared their faith with joy. You know, sometimes I've heard people say, well, faith is private. Faith is something we don't talk about. It's personal. Just keep it in the building with the stained glass. And I I don't know really what kind of faith they're talking about because that is not the Christian faith. Following Jesus has always been an outwardly facing thing. Christ designed the faith for the office, the home, the school, the factory, the farm, the neighborhood. He designed faith for everyday life. And that's why our faith is not just a once a week thing on Sundays. It's for wherever we are, under whatever circumstances you're in weren't our hearts burning within us? Christ comes alive in their hearts, and it has to be expressed. It's just the overflow. And I love that we're told these guys ran all the way back to Jerusalem. They ran back towards their problem. Like first responders, instead of escaping, they ran back towards the danger. Remember, the city was still a hot zone. Persecution was a real possibility would have been safer, would have been smarter for them just to stay in Emmaus, but they went back to face it. Why? Because hope had returned to their hearts. Hope had returned. So what road are you traveling this morning? What road are you going on? Are you running low on hope? Is your personal hope meter sort of inching towards the red zone? If so, I want you to know that the resurrected Christ walks with you in your discouragement and in your doubting. He walks with you and wants hope to blossom in your hearts, a hope that's built on two things, a solid confidence in the word of God and a deeper experience of Christ himself. Christ risen, and his power can move beyond your doubts and move you toward your tougher problems. This week, he will give you the strength that you need. He will walk with you in resurrection power. He will, he will be with you if you give yourself to him. I hadn't planned on sharing this story, but I want to. We've got a few extra minutes. Uh, One of the things I do part-time is I work as a chaplain over at the Cheshire Medical Center. And uh, a week ago Saturday, the Saturday before uh, Easter, I went to visit a woman. She was in her late 80s. She wasn't in good shape. It was not a good diagnosis for her. She's sitting alone in a chair in her room, and I walk in she notices I'm a chaplain, and she says, tomorrow's Easter, right? And I said, yes. And she said, I love the Easter music. And she starts to sing in just this really fragile kind of voice. Jesus Christ is risen today. And she said, do you know it? And I said, yeah, I know it. He said, "Will you sing it with me. So I got the words up on my phone, and we had a little hymn sing, just the two of us, she and I. And we went through a couple of hymns, and she was just so bright in her face. And I thought, this is what the hope of Christ looks like. She had the hope of Christ in our life. You know, a hospital is nobody's idea of a vacation. You know, it's not some spa that you go to. You can never sleep well. People are poking you and prodding you. They wake you up to give you the sleeping pill. You know, all those kind of stuff. It can be a very lonely and discouraging place, particularly when you're sick. And she showed me something about the importance of having the hope of Christ in your life. I hope that's your experience this week. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.